Barukata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam. Asher Kirishanu Vimetota Vetibanu, Maasok Pedivre Torah. Veha Arevna Adonai Eloheinu et Divre Torateka. Befinu Ufi Amka Beit Yisrael. Venie Anaknu Vetsa Etsa Enu Vetsa Etsa E Amka Beit Yisrael. Kulano Yodea Shmeka Velonde Torateka Lishma. Baruch Ata Adonai. Amlamed Torah Leamo Yisrael. Baruch Ata Adonai. Eloheinu Melech HaOlam. Asher Bachar Banu Mikol Hamin Venatan Lanu et Torato. Baruch Ata Adonai. Notain Ha Torah. And the prayer before study. May it be your will, Hashem, my God, that a mishap not come about through me, and may I not stumble in the matter of Torah and cause my colleagues to rejoice over me. And may I not say regarding something which is to me that it is to whore, and not regard something which is to whore that it is to me. And may my colleagues not stumble in the matter of Torah, and I rejoice over them. For Hashem grants wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding of God. Unveil my eyes that I may perceive wonders from your Torah. Amen. Amen. Mashiach now. <laughs> Welcome to the Rumination Study. So exciting. This is Erev Sukkot. Already it's crazy. I feel like we were just celebrating Pesach, which is fitting because these two festivals are connected. So um, we are in Ha'azinu and um, also getting ready for Shabbat Chol HaMoed for Sukkot. So we have a double rumination. And without further ado, I'm going to hand it over to Shomo and we're going to keep it moving. Amen. The time of our joy. Absolutely. Everyone have a meaningful and joyful Sukkot. Amen. Be blessed as you dwell in your sukkah. Amen. And merit to have a beautiful etrog and four species. Amen. And if anyone, including myself, has shipping things that they're concerned about with their lulav making it in time, may it be resolved and may lulav be in hand, ready to go for sukkah day one. I pray there's no issues with it getting there on time. <laughs> Amen. Uh, so, we come to the second to the last rumination of the, of the Torah cycle. Rumination 50. How can we judge the faith of others? I think it's interesting, too, because it says judging their faith. So it's giving us a very objective thing to look at as opposed to just judging the person. So this is uh, one of the other things, too, when it comes to judgment that you really want to focus not so much on, um, you know, like penalizing the person as opposed to paying attention to the specific actions. And then when you look at the actions, 
that it's all about refining those because judgment in Judaism is not to penalize people and to punish them. It's actually to refine them. And so looking at judging someone's faith, even though technically that's not up to us, because according to the writings of Shaul, he says that everyone has a measure of faith that is granted to them. But ball back in our court, that means we can increase it if we want. Because technically we have no limits when it comes to Hashem. So it's like, do we want to be our own limiter? And also we can't look down on other people for the measure of faith that they have because, again, we don't know their circumstances. We don't know their situation. Yeah, very true. Um, the thing I've come to consider and I've always, I've come to realize this over the years is that it's real easy to say, where is your faith? But in fact, they are asking deep questions about this life in this world, the struggles we all face of coming to know Hashem. Shaul, after all, does say that in Ephesians, we see through a glass darkly. Corinthians. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. but, it's at the end of the big chapter on love. Uh, oh. Yeah, more poignant then. <laughs> um, for who can know the breadth, the height, and the width of the wisdom? I believe that's Ephesians. Yeah, that definitely is Ephesians. <laughs> um, but then James one seventeen: every good act of giving and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father who made the heaven lights within, there is not a variation of darkness caused by sun. Yeah. Having made his decision, he gave birth to us. There's your Nikah. There's your the master's discourse with Nick Dimon, Ben Gurion. Nice. Yeah, having made his decisions, he gave birth to us through a word that can be relied upon in order that we should be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. Therefore, mm -hmm. my dear brothers, let every person be quick to listen, but slow to speak, slow to get angry. For a person's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. In other words, to go up to your brother and tell him, where's your faith? How do you know that they don't have it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In the first place. How do you know if you have it? If you were asking your brother that question, then what's going on with you? Most people don't <laughs> wow. want to turn the microscope on themselves. Mm. You see, this is where, you know, Rom call the path of the just. A man must examine his thoughts that always lead to deeds. What is the motive? Is it out of 
purity? Mm-hmm. Is it for the sake of heaven? Wow. Are you admonishing or are you rebuking that person? Are you encouraging them or discouraging them? Right. So to that point real quick. Uh, so we, we normally read from Torah Wellsprings, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a source called Wellsprings of Torah. And it brings down Sfacet Mass. It brings down different Hasidic Rebbe's and things like that, which I guess is the same thing as Torah Wellsprings. So it's pretty funny. But uh, in there, it said in Parsha um, Akari Mot Kedoshim, that if you're going to rebuke someone, you have to rebuke yourself along with them. So turning the microscope on yourself, like you just said. Yeah, letting Hashem examine you. All this goes to increasing levels of holiness. The closer you get to the most holy place, the greater the level of scrutiny you will come under. All of us can say that we would be uncomfortable with that. I would say that you need to look at the example of Nadab and Abihu. That's what I was thinking. Because <laughs> that's why there's that's why their uh, judgment was so strict because of their high level. It wasn't mixed with anything. They were just consumed. Mm. Um, he who whitewashes his friend in public has no place in the world to come. Uh, Baba Metzia 54a. Nice. Um, that has to do with embarrassment, right? Yeah, you... What Shaul said to the high priest in Acts 22, I believe, you whitewashed wall. I did not speak anything against the high priest. So why are your guards hitting me? They did the exact same thing to Yeshua. True. Wow, because he's actually talking about judging. He says, you will sit here to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I think that's pretty intense, you know. Very much so. Um. So we know we can't, and yet we often do. We are tempted to exercise righteous judgment. Here, at this point, I would bring in the, the, the dichotomy between Eliyahu and then Moshe and Pincus. 
And we know that Moshe and Pincus acted in the zeal of Hashem, Hashem's zeal, not their own, while Eliyahu acted in his own. So to claim that it's righteous judgment, I would seriously say, uh, be careful, what, examine yourself. What are your motives? You know, your intent. Because as, you know, Shlomo says initially, the power of life and death is in the tongue. One thousand percent. <laughs> you know, we are tempted to exercise righteous judgment when we observe others. What we may not understand is there's a difference between judging deeds and judging faith. While it is true that faith and deeds are inseparable when it comes to others, we are never instructed to judge their faith. Nice. So we're already... Um, allowing the guidance of the Yetzahara in our life when we do that. Because if it's not in the Torah and it's not a commandment there and we're following it as if it was a commandment, where else is it going to come from? You know, if you're not following the truth, then what are you following? Yeah. This is probably, you know, I think of the conversation with Yeshua talking to some of the ruling teachers and Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes where he was talking about, you know, if you would, if you were sons of Abraham, you know, you would do the works of Abraham and you wouldn't be here trying to kill me. You know, and then the whole your father is the devil. Yeah, uh, a verse that's been dreadfully perverted or weaponized. Yeah. To use uh, the talking Hesca words. I mean, if you if you need some kind of justification. I mean, you, you have a hard time finding it. Obviously, you're going to use the low-hanging fruit, so to speak. <laughs> so if you can find anything to twist out of context, it's just like, okay, let's take it. Let's take the, he made all foods clean. Let's take Kepha on the rooftop, you know, Acts 10. And it's just kind of like, even if you look at those passages that are always twisted, it's because they're never put in context. They're never connected to the source and the foundation in which they came from. You know, like people forget the way Shaul starts out his letters because he starts out his letters like all Torah, all, you know, Judaism and everything. And then it's like, apparently some way halfway through his letters, he just gets all Christian. He gets all like anti-Semitic and all sorts of stuff. And you're just like, so he's schizophrenic? <laughs> 
You know, and you just kind of raise your eyebrow. You're like, Switch artist? <laughs> yeah, you're like, where is this coming from? Yeah. But yeah. You know, and the last 2,000 years, you know, we have seen so much anti-Semitism from the church. Saying, oh, Judaism is wrong. They killed their Christ killers and all kinds of vileness, you know? Yeah. And... And they wonder why there are so many denominations, you know, because one person gets offended and they say, you know what, I'm going to start my own thing. Yeah. You know, instead of living by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of Hashem, that does not change. Yeah, and you don't have to make stuff up to to give it props to stand on, you know. You know, he's not a man that he should lie. Exactly. You know, his word forever is settled in heaven. Those who love your Torah, you know, have great peace. There's no occasion of stumbling in them. All your instructions are faith. Uh, Habakkuk 2 6. The Zadik will live by his faithfulness. So you just mentioned the the psalm that says, All your instructions are faith. So technically, that would mean if we're judging someone's faith. We're judging their mitzvah keeping. See where I'm going. Wow. Now you're, you're starting to realize just how dangerous this is. Wow. To judge Goodness. the one who is faithful to his own instructions. Hmm. The only thing you're doing is putting a target on, on yourself for Gavura. That's it. Wow. It's what the spies did in uh, Parashah uh, Shlachlika. They, they practically accused Hashem of lying. Mm-hmm. They doubted his word. They, even Moshe did not take him at his word when he was told not to strike the rock, but speak to it. And that was in a moment of anger. (laughs) And frustration and futility. And what is the Megillah that we're reading? How does it it start? (laughs) Yeah, just a, a heads up to everyone listening that uh, during Sukkot, we study Ecclesiastes. So we're looking at, we're sitting in our sukkah, we're looking at the fragileness of life, and we're reading Kohelet. Like, if you ever needed a teaching aid in your entire life, 
right? <laughs> you know, it starts out, uh, div, you know, Divrei Kohelet, Ben David, right. Malik Bay Yerushalayim, Haval Havalim, Amar Kohelet, Haval, Havalim, Hakar, Havel, Hevel, Hevel, Hevel. Vanity, all is he uses the word futile, which I kind of like better. Yeah. It is futile to live outside the Torah. Harsha Hazinu, right? Divine 32. That's the first use of this word. <laughs> and it is the word that's used for idols. Okay. <laughs> it's okay, so it's futile to be an idolater. Goodness. Vapor. Meaning, so breath. if we use this as a template for the last two thousand years, and we know that Christianity on the whole is filled with idolatry because they're making it up as they go along they don't want to they loathe obeying Hashem to me theology is nothing more than excuses as to why you don't obey Hashem it's vanity it's futile But you know what's even crazy about that? Because you mentioned that um, there's the whole thing of judging and, and things like that that happen. In Judaism, there's actually sources that stand up and go to bat for Christianity that tell that uh, basically mentions that they're not idolaters in the sense of being in violation of Hashem's commandments, because as Noah hides, uh, there's an understanding of not uh, knowing Hashem's oneness. So it's okay to have intermediaries and things like that uh, to connect you to Hashem. And so it's like Christianity is idolat idolatry, but Christians are not considered idolaters. Yeah. And that's the, that's the statement I've heard, which I thought was really interesting. Because outright blatant rituals and things that get done within that system. But it's just kind of like, yeah, but they're going to be okay kind of thing as opposed to just shooting them down, you know. And obviously there's both sides of the fence there. But I just love the fact that there, there are some sources in Judaism that actually go to bat for Christianity and be like, leave them alone. <laughs> Well, yeah, in the sense that you are to love the convert, you to bring him in, you to, you, you know, to teach him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, we both have a havruta that are, that are teaching us. Yes. That are bringing us into the household of faith. Yeah. Into kosher mindset, kosher understanding. You know, um, Yeah, this word hevel, man. Wow. 
because you know it's it rearranges to Halev. Also has a gematria of thirty-seven, which is gematria yes. for Eva's name. The thirty-seven good sparks that the Arizal speaks of. Yeah, um, Yitzhak was thirty-seven when he was bound as an Akeda. <laughs> yeah, but he wasn't a young boy. No, he was a man. <laughs> And the sages say that his emunah exceeded that of his father. All right. Um, so, um, okay, so, yeah, we're never instructed to judge their faith, but we do. A lot. Sometimes we do it in the most egregious ways. We even do it in response to people in pain. These are the people who are asking some difficult questions. And there is nothing wrong with this. None. And we should not say that there is. Mm -hmm. You should not be saying to that person, oh, where's your faith? You know, oh, God's going to heal you, you know, this and that, you know. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah. That's the worst. How do you know what Hashem's going to do? Our, our vision, our understanding is limited. It's, it's limitless. Mm -hmm. He has the whole game plan. Yeah, remember Yeshua's uh, Talmudim were asking him, so who's uh, this man's uh, that needed this man that needed healing? They said, does this man need healing because of the sins of his mother or the sins of his father? And Yeshua was like, neither. This is just for the glory of Hashem to be known. Yeah, that's what we need to do. Let's manifest his glory. To bring the Shekinah into the world from exile. And sometimes to bring Hashem's glory means that a person doesn't get healed. See, we don't Which, know what his purpose is. We yeah, just, that's a hard pill to swallow. You know, it's... Right. Yeah, we hear questions like, why is God doing this to me? Other questions would be, why does God allow evil in the world? But we know that James says that God doesn't tempt men. Exactly. Yeah. Because there's no iniquity in him. You know, I mean, it's um, going back to James 1.12, how blessed is the man who perseveres through temptation? For after he, yeah. he has passed the test, he will receive his crown, the life which God has promised to those who love him. No one being tempted should say, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Mm -hmm. And God himself tempts no one. I mean, I do that just fine by myself. 
you know, when I'm drawn away yeah. by my own desires, when I start listening to Yetzir Hurrah, you know, it's, you know, we should, we should really say I'm my, I'm my own worst enemy. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, when I make a mistake, you know, I just have to pick myself up and, you know, of course, we're always tempted to ask, you know, I, or say to ourselves, you know, I, I can't believe I did that stupid thing, you know, I didn't please Hashem, you know, it's like, you can basically self-loathing, you know, and Hashem doesn't want us to do that, you know, just pick yourself up, rely on me, you know, let me be your strength, you know. Focus on accumulating good deeds. Yeah. It's like Peter, bid, hey, Master, bid me come walk on the water to you. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't concerned about his level at that point either, you know? No. Because sometimes it's like in order for you to do good miracles or go beyond nature, you have to you have to reach a certain level, you know? And it's like Kepa was not worried about that. <laughs> No, which he, I think is a powerful teaching point, you know. Oh yeah. Stop looking at the circumstances around you. Stop looking at the circumstances around others. You know what's going on in the world. You know these things are going to happen anyway because the master said so. Mm -hmm. But then, considering that this week's parsha, Kaizinu. Um, Devarim's the king of the prophecy books. Because we have all the prophecies in there. You know, mo, mo, you know the song of Moshe. Mm -hmm. Very, very prophetic overtones. Um, I was reading from the Orkaim the other day. Yeah, Shabbat Eve. You know, and he has some pretty chilling things to say concerning the accumulation of Averos by the nations, which we see today. You know, they're causing Israel to sin in all kinds of ways. You know, to be, they're, they're behaving like the Arab Raj. Mm -hmm. You know, but that stuff only comes about if, in most cases, because of Lachan Hara. Because you do have the sects that speak against each other at times, which should, which should not be. I mean, I mean, you know, and, and other sins, which, you know, again, it's not for us to judge their own or not. We can merely point out the deeds that we see as an objective analysis and weigh them against the Torah. Yeah. We can do that for our own edification, our own admonition, that we not make those kinds of mistakes. Because that's exactly what Shavuot says in Corinthians. These were written as examples for you so that you would learn why that generation was not allowed to enter the land, enter into his rest. Because what does Yeshua say in Matthew 11? Uh, come to me, all you who labor and are have heavy burdens. Oh, yeah. 
Take my yoke. Kabbalah my yoke old. is easy. What's the easy yoke? It's the Torah. Yeah, the Torah becomes weighty if you observe it through the empowerment of your Yetzirah. So in other words, if you want to self-aggrandize, if you have an alternate agenda, if you do it in a way of sinfulness, you know, rebelliousness, that's what causes the weight of Torah. Because yeah. if you're if you focus on Hashem, you're filled with joy, you're filled with love, that makes everything light, easy. Yeah, and how much more joyful it is when we just love one another as he loved us. Yeah. But he, you know, as your brother, how can you love your brother and yet love God whom you have not seen? Yeah. He that hates his brother doesn't know him. Mm -hmm. Neither has he seen him. I, you know, it, and he doesn't mean that you literally see Hashem because he writes at the beginning of his Pesorah that nobody has seen him except yeah. for the Ben Elohim who's in the lap of the Father. And I'm quoting the Dalish translation of the Hebrew. Yeah, but you can go with the no one has seen Hashem, but. If we love one another, yeah, insinuating that the way to see Hashem is through loving each other, mm -hmm. which I was just thinking about that, as you said, as you were just speaking on these points, I was standing in line next to a, a Jew. Uh, we were both at the kosher deli to get things to get ready for um, of Yom Kippur, where you have your big meals, you know, and your separation meal. Then you go into Yom Kippur and you have your breakfast. So we were standing there and I uh, had my son with me and he's just staring at this guy. <laughs> and the guy's looking at him and is like, what? You know, double taking. Why, why is your son staring at me? Like, what's going on? And he started smiling, you know, and the guy was like, oh, he's so cute. You know, and uh, he's just like, he's like, I don't know this guy. I'm just going to smile at him, you know, and I'm like, Actually, that's that's good because technically we're not strangers. We're part of the same family. And one of the uh, the brakas and uh, the, the, ch the children's sidur, you push a button and it sings all the songs of the different brakas in the morning. One of them is loving your fellow Jew. So it's like I take up on myself each and every day to love another Jew in each and every way. <laughs> And it's just like, it's like this little children's song and it's like a bracha that you do. And I'm thinking to myself, like, this right here is the key to world peace. <laughs> <laughs> like, if we just loved one another as we loved ourselves, like, I don't know you, but we focus on each other's positives. We try to bring out the best in each other because we know our thoughts can pull people up or push them down. So, I mean, this is really like, this is huge. Mm -hmm. 
But anyway, you're ruminating. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, you know, we hear questions like, why is God doing this to me? Immediately launched into lectures about the consequences of sin. Or Hashem trying to get their attention. Or worse, we smugly answer the question in our minds as we look down our noses at their lack of faith. Or I would say apparent lack of faith. Yeah. But such, here's the thing, but such questions are not lacking in faith. Get you some. We've all been in this place. There's not one person who's exempt from this. No one. I've asked the question, why is this happening to me? My wife's asked the question. I'm sure your wife has asked the question. Everyone has asked the question. So are you saying like we forget that we've been here before when we look down on people for being like that? Yeah, it has happened. I've, I've done it. Wow. And it is not a good thing to do. Hmm. And I'll be transparent and honest about it. Hashem has dealt with me about it. And I stopped doing it. Hmm. And, and because of this, you know, the Torah, when I, when I study the Torah and all the commentaries, they open up to me. Because yeah. if I find if I'm in that state of mind, forget it. You're just not going to get anywhere. You won't. It's like a door that shuts. Yep. And like the master says in Revelation, I'm the one who opens the door and no man closes it. I close the door. No man can open it. Yeah, Torah study is likened to being in a relationship, you know, very intimately. And so if you are found untrustworthy uh, and things like that, if you've been inf uh, infidelity, if there's any infidelity there, you know, like the Torah is like, nope, I can't share myself with you. Like, I'm out kind of thing. Which I thought was interesting because that came from Shvile Pincus one time because he was talking about how the Torah does have like all these deep secrets that for those who are found trustworthy, those who are, um, I keep, I don't know how to say this word. Those are who are fidel. There's infidelity. And then there's the people who are faithful, you know, like they don't have other relationships or things like that. I don't know what that word is called, but faithful to the relationship basically. And it says that the Torah, when it finds those people, it just like pours itself out on them. Which yeah. that would be an encouragement for people if you just feel like, I don't know, it's like when I Torah study, I, I try to get as much as I can and I just feel like I get these downloads, you know, that's Hashem showing you like, thank you for being faithful. Thank you for being trustworthy, you know, so. Yeah, you know, it's, it requires humility because the letter, the, the letter man is open at the bottom and it's, and it pours out. Water always flows down.
Tumlev. The Torah came from Hashemayim. Hashem brought it down to Moshe. And then Moshe, by the hand of Moshe, it was brought down. And, and this is what we have to remember. We have to bring the Torah down. But yeah. it requires humility. It requires being in awe of the one who gave it. Yerei Hashemayim. Yerei Hashem. You know, it, it, to revere, to respect that awesome fact that he was imminent in creation on that day. And this is a point I've raised before, and it, it always bears repeating at appropriate times, is that it is the revelation of Hashem. It's the revelation of his holiness, his righteousness, of who he is. To study it is to know him. Nice. Eternal life. That's what Yeshua said in John 17. Yeah. This is eternal life. To know you. And Yeshua HaMashiach, whom you have sent. Mm -hmm. it, the scripture defines everything. So why do we need to be... <laughs> You know, I'm reminded of Rabbi Foreman um, on Aleph Beta where, um, you know, one of, the, one of the things about the sin in the garden, you know, of partaking the fruit is that the Torah tells us that Eve looked on the fruit and she, she saw that it was good and to make one wise. Notice that the word, it's a different word for wisdom that shows up in that chapter in Genesis. It's not the word hope. Really? Um, yep. Trying to get technical over here. I mean, we're going to be headed back to the Bay of Shizer in about a week. No. Man, <laughs> so crazy. Yeah. They had a room. The, the word wisdom here is the word arum, ayin, resh, bav, mem. I noticed the oh, wait. First, and the first letter is ayin, and it's the word, it's the word for I. <laughs> Things I never knew. This is happening. Yeah, arum, miko, kayat, asadeh. Asher Asa Adonai. See, now here, look, Adonai Elohim. So you have that coupling of the four letter name with Elohim. Hmm. 
you know, uh, so yeah, users. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Uh, Biomer L. Aisha. Afki Amar Elohim. See, right here, this is where you see it. This is what this this is what the Nakash is saying. He's getting Eve to think that this is purely on the side of the Buddha. Because he's only using Elohim. Whereas the Torah grammatically uses Adonai Elohim on the side of grace, of Abba, on the tree of life. So, what was our reading? I don't know. Talking about Parsha Korak, and Korak was upset that the Levites represent Gevura, while the Kohanim represent Chesed. And he sought to disrupt the balance of Chesed and Gevura, which is why he wanted to be a Kohen. He wasn't okay with being the Gevura that balances out the Chesed. He was like, let's just get rid of Gevura completely, and everything that represents Gevura, we're going to make that Chesed. So in other words, replace Chesed with Gevura, then get rid of the balance of Chesed and Gevura. Because it was like, take away the Levites, let's make everybody Kohenim, and the Levites who formerly represented Gevura are now going to be only Chesed, but there was no Mita change. So now you've substituted the kindness with the severity, and you've made severity kindness <laughs> without anything to balance it. So your kindness isn't really a true kindness at that point. You know, and that brings up a question. Okay, so who's with no Levites, who's going to carry carry the furnishings on the Mishkan? Come on. Right? A great honor was bestowed on Korah. He was of the Kohathites who had the responsibility given by Hashem himself to carry the Brit our own. How much more honor could be bestowed upon you? Because the Ark is the testimony. Dude, they make movies looking for this Ark. <laughs> Trying to touch it. And here you are. You're, that's your responsibility. <sighs> you know, it, Again, but don't judge people's faith, right? <laughs> you're judging Hashem for, giving, for him giving you the distinct honor of carrying the ark, the most holy object in the world, the representation Man. of the Kisei Kabod, the Kisei Hased. Wow. So you get to be on earth as it is in heaven. You've heaven. got the four living creatures that surround the throne. Then you got four Levites that surround the ark. <laughs> and you're not okay with that. <laughs> well, yeah, and four uh, Malachim. Uh, Yosef brought that up one time. Oh, man. The archangels, yeah. Yeah. 
Let's see. There's the there's the meditation of the four archangels. Mm-hmm. In Kabbalah. So, with the Nachash, he is speaking of Gevura. It's like uh, Korach followed suit with that. Yeah, he was basically showing who his father was. Uh-huh. Um, so are, are you going to read two, three? Uh, are you going to read up to verse six? Um, where do you... See. Isha of Kiyamar Elohim Lo Tokulu Miko Etz Again. This is this is Hava's response to the serpent. At first, she didn't fall for it. Right. Good job. She comes Good back job. exactly. Yeah, she comes back exactly with what Hashem commanded him not to do. This is making me think of Yeshua in the wilderness. Yep. Because it was the three temptations. He was like the first time he was successful, second time successful, third time successful, and it was like, okay, I'm out. With Hava, though, it was like first time successful, second time eh, wavering. <laughs> um, okay, so just, now we get a little change up in the grammar of Batomer, Aisha El Anakash. Me pre et hagen, hagan, no cow. Of the fruit of any tree of the garden we may eat. Of the fruit of the tree which is in the center of the garden, God has said, you should not eat it nor touch it, lest you die. See, right here, now this is where she's starting to fall for the poison of the serpent. Right here, she uses Elohim, just like the Nakash did. Yikes. El Elohim lo tok lo. He may knew they lo. Tiga Aubo Bo Pen Tamut Tamu Tun. You know, lest you should die. Mm -hmm. But then, Biomer Ha Nakash El Isha Aisha Lo Mot, you won't die. Tamut Hong. You won't die. Ki Yodea Elohim, for in the day, for you, you know, Ki Yodea Elohim, Ki Bayom, Akalkem, Mimenu, Unif Kahu, Anayikem, Ehaitem 
Elohim Yadea Tov Meira, which the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. God knows that on the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. See, again, he just uses Elohim again. So you'll be like Elohim. Yes. Wow. Do you hear the, the depth and the facets in all this of like, I want you to think Elohim. Now I need to get you to speak about Elohim. Now I want you to embody Elohim. Like it's like, think about it, speak it out, now do it. Like it, it ran the full gamut. Dude. Yeah, and see, this is what we do all the time. Wow. This is part of the poison of the knockoff. We do this to each other all the time, and we're not supposed to. When someone is asking a difficult question that we've in the past asked, and now we have this understanding that Hashem's got this, it doesn't matter what problem that we face, we just simply know. Yodea, we know. But for someone who's not where you and I are, for example, and they ask this question, it's not our place to, to even attempt to answer it. Because the circumstances for that person are completely different. They're in a different place in their spiritual growth. They're in a different place in their relationship with Hashem. Yeah, we can pray for them, of course, by all means. You know? Because that's what, you know, I'm, I'm glad I've gotten into that habit, you know? Mm hmm May we all. It's kept me out of trouble a lot of times, trust me. I, you know, on a personal <laughs> note, you know. This is why I love watching Rabbi Trugman uh, when he teaches in a group setting because uh, or listening because on SoundCloud, he's put up a lot of his classes and there are people that will like interrupt him like mid insight. And they'll be like, but Rabbi, you just said da, 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 da. Oh, so <laughs> so I'm not OK with this, you know, or, you know, you that's mean? funny. Because when my wife and I would go out and we do DoorDash and we're listening to Mendel Kesson and he's giving a, a really big insight and then one person interrupts and I'm like, my wife to, my wife's the first person to say, why did I have to interrupt him? I know. It's like, <laughs> you feel like you just want to reach in there and just like choke them out, you know? But then to that see is... their, Yeah. But yeah, just to see their character on that though, they're just like, you know, she's, oh, you know my on. wife goes on to say they're being so rude to him. Yeah, that's exactly what I think. <laughs> you know, and I, I, I totally agree. You know, I, I it, you know, it's his shiur. You got to listen to him. Yeah, but that's not how they see it. They totally oh. stop. They re, re, uh, they like refocus. Like, okay, the person asked a question. Forget about my insight for a second. Let me focus on this person. Yeah, Which exactly? Yeah, that dude. Oh, I could yeah. cry right now. That's so. Precious. <laughs> I mean, you're sitting there, you're taking it in, right? For your own emuna, you mm -hmm. know. And all of a sudden, mm -hmm. it's like, 
short circuited, you know, it's like, oh, I gotta go back and listen to it again. My wife tells me, can you rewind it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know? dude, that, I those are that last powerful. <laughs> yeah, man, that when things like that happen, it just really shows me that I have so much to learn, so much to learn. You think. It's like you think you want to be on such a um, a straight and narrow path. You think you're doing really well, refining yourself. But then you you experience things like that where some of these great teachers are just giving beautiful Devar Torah and someone is really struggling and they interrupt. And it's like these teachers don't see it as like, how dare you or that's so disrespectful. I'm like, I'm out, dude. I'm like, I <laughs> I clearly have not grown up in the right place. <laughs> uh, no, sometimes I ask myself that, you know. I say, oh, I oh. wish I grew up in that community, you know. Man. But, you know, but I have to realize, you know, Hashem's got me, put me where I'm at. And that's, I have to be content. True, true. You know, I, you know, like, I'm not a complainer. My wife's side of the family, numerous times of family get-togethers and her sisters at times, you know, when we were living out in California. And <laughs> one of them actually said, one of her sisters actually said, my goodness, he doesn't complain. It's like, what is this guy, alien? Like, what is this? <laughs> you know, I, you know, the reason for that is what good is it to Wow. I have this axiom. I, I have this axiom. Complainers never get anything done. Wow. And that, that's wow. the big takeaway I get from the spies. Goodness. <laughs> Don't you, may we never think it to complain to about what Hashem is doing. I mean, you would dare criticize someone else's emunah, and yet you don't look at yourself. That's complaining. When you're judging someone else's emunah. You know, Kvetching. Um, <laughs> you know, the wit and wisdom of the, the shtetls of Eastern Europe, they have, the, they have this saying, and I love it, you know, um, May you be like a lamp that hangs all day and burns all night. Wow. No, I got to say it. That's lit. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. And may all your teeth fall out except for one. And may that one ache. Wow. (laughs) What in the world? Are you serious? You know, it's, there's just some wit and wisdom in, that, in those sayings. You know, I, I just never tire of hearing them. And they're a reminder to me that I should never complain about what Hashem is doing. Never. <laughs> so, you let's really pray. show your maturity when you don't 
complain. And Mendel Kesson, for his credit, doesn't complain, despite the numerous interruptions I have heard. And I've listened to a lot of his podcasts. I'm up to Shior 65 now about, you know, Mashiach, the end of days. And he's, he's on this theme. He's been on it for the last year now. You know? Oh. And it's just, we both listen to him. And every time we hear one of the ladies just, Rabbi, can I ask a question? And he's in the middle of a thought. I'm like, please oh. let the man finish, you know? <laughs> Goodness. Would you interrupt Hashem when he's speaking the Torah at Sinai? Would you even, I mean, come on. We did, actually. Yeah, unfortunately, with a golden calf. <laughs> and with the whole, that's enough, Moses, you go up there. We're there we can't yeah. do it. That's because Hashem spake it all at once. True. There wasn't really a way to interrupt him. Yeah, that I like that. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's okay. I'll have you write it down. We can take it down. It's the old Torah. That's fine. Okay. I can deal you with that. You, you take your own time. Go at your <laughs> no. pace. But one thing, though, man, I'm going to write the first ten words myself. <laughs> So you you know with the complaining the convetching, it's interesting because this is in First Corinthians, chapter uh -huh. ten, and it says these things took place as examples to keep us from craving evil things, as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry, which is Exodus thirty two six. Then it goes on to say, go back up here. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. So he just put Parsha Kitisa with Parsha Balak. Dude. This is Paul's writings. Are you serious? Dropping Torah like he this? He just connected the narrative. He's showing you the narrative of the Torah right there in Corinthians, man. That's what really is so beautiful, you know? So here's the verse. It says, um, as some of them did, okay, verse 9. We should not test Mashiach as some of them did and were killed by snakes. Now stop. Parsha Hukat, when they spoke against the manna, that was considered testing Mashiach and speaking against Mashiach. When they said this loathsome manna and God sent the fiery serpents, that was Mashiach. They were, okay. Anyway, let's get to this verse. <laughs> I would say keep going. <laughs> You're on a roll. <laughs> Verse 10. Do not convetch. Do not complain as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Oh, man. So the angel of death came through during the plague of Korok. This is where Aharon had to go get the incense 
from the Mishkan and bring it out there so that people could stop dying. So you got the golden calf, you got the incident at Shatim, and then you got Korok's rebellion. Like he just put all of those tour portions, or and and then uh, Parsha Kukat with the the manna. Yeah, he fit them into the narrative pre Parashat Pinchas. Dude. Because we also have to realize that the other parts that fit into that narrative is uh, Vayikra, Zav, um, Metsora, Shemini, and Akaremo. As well as um, in Exodus, that too. Uh, day, all that okay. So, I just want to point out this is clearly not Christian writing, absolutely not. Man, what's wrong with you, <laughs> dude? Wow, I just want to do a whole drosh on these three few verses. <laughs> Okay, Shaul anyway. just gets totally amazing how midrash he is. Yeah. When you when you take it back to the Torah, when you take it back to the sages, which he I consider him a sage. Yeah, 100. Do you hear the words of this righteous sage? Yeah. I mean, it's just phenomenal. I mean. But you got to know Torah yes. in order to come to that conclusion. Absolutely. And you need to know the words of the sages as well. Yeah. Got to have Talmud under your belt, man. If you really want to understand our master and this Talmudin. Incredible. Absolutely prerequisites. I mean. So, yeah, there's your grumbling and kvetching passage right there from Corinthians. Back to you, Bob. <laughs> Next contestant. <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow. Or worse, we smugly answer the question in our minds as we look down our noses at their apparent lack of faith. But such questions are not lacking in faith. I'll repeat. But such questions are not lacking in faith. In fact, they are founded upon the deepest faith of all. The belief that Hashem is working in this world. And the one in pain, not understanding how Hashem's plan is revealed in pain. The faithless don't ask such questions. Hashem's plan is revealed in pain? Yes. Wow. You know that uh, blessing is often clothed in rebuke.
You mean like the uh, the blessings and the curses passages? Mount Gerizim, Mount yeah, Everim, there you go. That, that, there you go. or Mount Mount Ebal, Mount Gerizim. Gerizim is so the Mount of Blessing, Ebal is the Mount of Cursing. Yeah. Wow. Or think about Parashat Kitetz, uh, Kitetze, and Kitavo, especially Kitavo. Right. And given the fact that the Gematria for Key is 30, corresponding to the 30 days of the rule, yep. that that Parsha contains the curses. But when a rule comes to an end and we hit Rosh Hashanah, we want to put those curses behind us because we've just started a new year with blessings. Yes. Standing. Yeah, you're standing right here, right now. You're, you're going to walk into Eretz Israel when we cross the yard. The blessings of the land. Uh, what is it? Uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. Inherit the land. They'll enter Beautiful. into rest. Psalm 95. That was legit. Nicely done. You know, it's we don't enter into his rest when we catch. Yep. And when you criticize someone else's emunah, when you judge them, when you belittle them, or anything, any kind of lachan horror, you're not resting in him. You're not trusting in him. You're, your confidence definitely is not in the Shem. That Hashem is working in them, that their pain is bringing him the Shekinah into the world from exile. Wow. So Hashem works through pain, which is like one of our biggest turnoffs as humans. Like we don't like pain. But it's one of the very prime avenues, conduits, channels of Hashem's revelation. I have derived more insight in those times than I have in any other. That's a say life I've ever heard one. Especially now with what's going on with our car. Yeah. And what's interesting is a bit of a testimony. Um, we have a neighbor in the next building started asking me about Torah. Really? That brought about a situation where we could start talking to him about it. You know, and we invited him into our apartment, you know, and he started asking questions about Judaism. You know, he says, I know about it. I know some things about it, but, you know, I'm looking to learn. And I said, I'm more than happy to, to share with you. So, car problems open the door for this? Yes. Dude, come on, man. Seriously? Car problems with me, like, it just, it flattens me. Like, I'm just kind of like, I just, I just feel like, just take me out back, you know, and, and kill me <laughs> if that happens, you know. But, dude, a ministering opportunity, connection, 
you could be bringing alum haba for this person, you know, like, hey, hats off to you, the the little gift that has the little kid with the respect hat. That's what I got for you right now. He even <laughs> offered to give us a ride if we ever needed to go anywhere. On top of that, because one of the things he said, I like doing good things. Oh, so now you're going to enable him to do acts of kindness. Okay. That's how this is going now. Yeah. <laughs> what does Shaul say? Provoke one another to what? Good deeds. Wow. Rukushim. I think we talked with him for about, you know, maybe half an hour. You know. Yeah. You know? Time flies in those. You you just be you could be talking for hours and you're just like, easily. Oh, it only felt like ten minutes. <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, I told him, hey, I'm constantly learning. You know, true that, true that. <laughs> May you never stop. I won't be able to. <laughs> I mean, who could? You know. Just like that verse I quoted from Ephesians, you know, who can know the breadth, the height, and the depth of the wisdom of Hashem? Yeah. Um, okay. So at other times, we listen to the people express their faith, quote unquote, in unscriptural ways. They make theologies up out of whole cloth. Our response too often is to dismiss them and their misguided doctrine, considering them completely blind to God. Hmm. Even though we don't see their hearts and cannot know the questions and struggles they face. And whether Hashem hmm. is watering seeds of faith that have yet spring forth invisible fruit. So in other words, if you are judging their amino being dismissive of it, it's like you're chopping down a tree. Yeah. Because you get four years, you know? Like, you can't just be like, oh, this tree sucks. <laughs> you're just like, dude, you're only in the second year. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, but dude, on top of that, we're in the Shemitah year. Yes. Welcome to 5782. It's a Shemitah. Yep. We may have a list of quote-unquote non-negotiable doctrinal points, which may be correct, and use them to discount the power of the Almighty in the lives of others. Hmm. Truth be told that theology always tends to act like a pair of horse blinders. Or like a fighter pilot who pulls a high G maneuver, one of the first things that happens is tunnel vision. Wow. Unless you know how to, you know, grunt, you know, you know, tense up your whole body to get the blood, stop stop the blood from cooling in your legs. 
because that's why they wear those G suits because what what they're designed to do is to keep your blood from going down to your legs and keep it up in your torso. Huh. Wow. And up here, the most important part is so you can fly the aircraft. Did not know that. And and not black out during a high G maneuver. Wow. Because a lot of the jets nowadays, even back in the 70s, like especially the F-15 Eagle, which had uh, two after-burning Pratt & Whitney uh, J-35 engines that could do 110,000 horsepower equivalent. That aircraft could reach its combat ceiling at 70,000 feet inside of five minutes. You know, in most cases, you know, through it, and it's still being used, the Israeli Air Force still uses the F-15. Mm-hmm. It's arguably the most, the, the greatest air superiority aircraft that uh, Grumman has ever produced. Hmm. It basically ruled the skies. There, there are F-15 pilots in the IAF that can tell you stories of one miracle after another of Hashem just especially during the Yom Kippur War when the air battle was going on. I mean, we're talking serious stuff here. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to sit there and tell me all words their faith? Uh, non-negotiable doctrinal points which may be correct and then use them to discount the power of the almighty in the lives of others in which case who is the one lacking faith should we judge our deeds and our neighbors yes with Hashem's righteous standard. In other words, this standard, this right here, and only this. I cannot make that point strongly enough. Wait, so we're not allowed to use our own measuring line? Absolutely not. Hmm. It's subjective. That's what the Parashim were doing with Yeshua and his Talmudim. Matthew 15. And then you show confronted them big time in Matthew 23. Mm-hmm. But did he say that you shouldn't listen to them? He said the opposite. Uh-huh. And why? Oh. They sit in the seat of Moshe. Moshe. <laughs> Yeah, because, you know, the whole connection there, that there has to be a motion in every generation to to lead the people back to Hashem, you know, to have that connection, because we started it. We said that we wanted someone to take Hashem's words and translate them for us, because it was too much for us to directly interface, right? So what I find very interesting with Yeshua is the very one who rejected him 
he transcended as far as his opinions, as far as any feelings. And he said, you know what? Listen to them. And it's like, uh, Yeshua, these people are slamming you left and right. He's like, yeah, that's true. But listen to them. They're teaching Torah. So take the Torah points, but don't act like they act. Yeah, he used it as a dichotomy, a juxtaposition. That is powerful. Because, like, which, like, who of us would be like, oh, yeah, you know that person who talks smack about me all day? Yeah, they're they're very wise. Go listen to them, you know, be mentored by them. <laughs> Dude. And yet that part of yourself is saying, why do I need to listen to this guy for it? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know? I mean, yeah, well, like I said, you know, we can't be using our own standards. It's subjective. This is objective. This right here. You know, the Torah. So even the Mashiach didn't do things subjectively. No. (sighs) This is such an important point. That he... You know, they get for someone within Christianity to get their head around this and without their eyes being covered by their pastor's understanding would be very significant. You and I are an example of this because we were asking some difficult questions that we perceived to be difficult at that particular time. And getting no answers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Except the stop oh. seminary answers that uh, where the pastor went to school. Yep. You know, it's that's subjective. But yeah. I know, oh. you know, there, there is a day coming when there will be those, you know, in mass, I suppose, um, that they will come to this knowledge and it's going to be up to people like you and me to teach them. Yeah. You know, to sit some, down of, some of our biggest, uh, probably frustrations, some of our biggest um, people who... Uh, are at conflict with us. Those are some of the very ones that we're going to have to be like, oh, here, let me show you what the humash is. Let me show you how to do the sador, you know, teaching them these things. <laughs> you know, all these things that we do that just build your emunah, you know, outward expressions of an inward and imperishable faith. You know, it's we're showing the proof of our love for Hashem. Um, that's that's top notch, high quality, right there. 
May we judge others like the faith? God forbid. May we never think it. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Romans now unto him, Romans 14, 4. Set you faultless, blameless, spotless before the key sake of both. Yeah, that's the letter of Jude. In glory, Love strength, it. and honor to him. Wow. That one time where Shaul wrote exactly like Jude. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now to the one who can keep you from falling and set you without defect and full of joy in the presence of his she Shekinah. I like, see, this is why I like the CJD. Mm hmm. Get you some. To God alone, our deliverer. Through Yeshua the Mashiach, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Amen. That's a unpacked, like <laughs> unpacking that verse. A whole nother drop. Oh, I mean, and what a perfect letter to. Head into revelations. <laughs> right. All right. So now on to Sukkot Shabbat Kol Hamoed rumination. So I guess just to debrief everyone, during the week of Sukkot, there is not a Torah portion. There are special readings every day. And when we get to Simchat Torah, which is connected with Shemni Atzeret, separate days if you're in the diaspora, um, that's the day we actually do Vizot HaBaraka because we connect it to Parsha Bereshit. So if you're wondering what the Torah portion is, on Shabbat we will be reading from Exodus 33, verse 12 through Chapter 34, verse 26. This is a part of Parsha Kitisa. And so here we go. Amen. So, Rumination 51. What is it all about? This question obviously requires contemplation, meditation. And in all honesty, I've had this question kept in deep in my heart and there's very few people that, or likely, more likely, I have never asked this question of anyone, except perhaps the chef. He's the only one who can really answer. <laughs> yeah. But in learning over the years, give you a piece of the answer. 
based on my level of understanding of Torah, you know, from the commentaries perhaps, um, from Kohelet, the Megillah that we study during Sukkot. It's been my practice over the last couple of years in our Sukkot observance that we study this Megillah during the week so that when it comes, comes time to read the Parsha and this Megillah, I get a better sense of why um, uh, Shlomo wrote it and when he wrote it. Because in this Shadive uh, Pincus, he alludes to that, that Shlomo Hamelik gathered the people at the Hekel on Yom Tov of Sukkot. Oh, kind of like the Hakol? Mm -hmm. Or the, the Hakel from uh, Parshavayelik? Yeah. Um, Which, by the way, you do that at the end of the Shemitah year. So not this Sukkot, yeah, but, but the next Sukkot. Yeah. That would be the Hakel. Yep. Nice. So I'm reading from uh, Shvile Pincus. A fantastic rationale for reading Kohelet on Hag Hag Sukkot. Shlomo HaMelech assembled all of Israel on Hag Hag Sukkot to expound Sefer Kohelet to encourage them in the ways of Hashem. In honor of the auspiciously approaching Hag Hag Sukkot, it is fitting for us to explore the established Jewish Minhag to read Megillah Kohelet on Shabbos Kohamoed, Sukkot. This minhag is presented by the renowned Posek, our teacher, the Rama, in the name Abu Draham. If, however, Shemini Atzeret falls on Shabbos, then Megillah Kohalet is read on Shemini Atzeret. This indeed hmm. is what is presented in the name of Maharil, I bid 663.2. It is customary to recite Kohelet on Shabbos of Kohamoed or on Shemini Atzeret if it falls on Shabbos. That well, was five minutes. Yeah. Um, so on my calendar, uh, Shemini Atzeret does not fall on Shabbat Kohamoed. Right. Yeah, it'll be fifth day of Sukkot. Yeah. Now we find many rationales for this minhag among the post scheme. So let us focus on a wonderful rationale presented by the Abu Graham, a Musaf for Haghab Pesach, in the name of the Sefer Hamin Manhi, authored by Rabbi Abraham ben Nassan Yaki. He refers to the Pasuk and Malachim uh, Aleph. 8-2. They gathered before Shlomo HaMelech, every man of Yisrael, for the festival, Sukkot, in the month of Itanin Tishrei, which is the seventh month. 
We learn from this. Eponine. Like A E I T or E T A. Um, Aleph, Yod, Tav, Nun, Yod, Mansafu. Okay, so that word is the plural of the Hebrew word Eitan, which Eitan is a name for Abraham. And it has to do with being a strong or a mighty one, like valiant. So I'm thinking of Tishrei, how it's the month where the birth of the patriarchs, you know, it's considered to be that month. So it's interesting. Yeah, and I just thought of something from Parashah Fahira, where the the three angels came to Avram in his tent. Mm-hmm. Could this could this have been during Sukkot? That's it. Yep. Because we know Sukkot and Pesach were originally together. together. Yeah. And also that Israel journeyed from uh, Ramesses to Sukkot. Direct, yeah. Rabbi Foreman, did you you heard that right? Um. Yeah, I got a. I gotta watch that one. I'm. Just, I... Oh, okay. Well, yeah. You better buckle up. <laughs> just, so you're strapped in, prepared for a high G burn. Huh? <laughs> He's just like big deal, little deal. Like he just. Oh yeah, that. yeah. We said, what's the big deal about it? You know. <laughs> I was like, bro, you gotta calm down. You can't just do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So we anyway. learn from, yeah, <laughs> we learn from this pursuit that the entire populace of Israel gathered before Shlomo HaMelech on Hag Hag Sukkot. This, in fact, was the practice prescribed for the Shemitah year, Devarim thirty-one ten. Moshe commanded them, saying, "At the end of seven years, on the occasion of the Shemitah year, during Hag Hag Sukkot, when all Israel come to appear before Hashem." your God in the place that he will choose. You shall read this Torah before all Israel in their ears. Gather together the people, the men and the women and the small children and your stranger who is in your cities so that they will hear and so that they will learn. I mean, what we were talking about earlier. Yeah, learning. We're supposed to teach. As well as learn. And they shall fear Hashem, your God, and take care to perform all the words of His Torah. That's what it's all about. Our sages learn from here that Hatsukot is the proper time to assemble all of Israel to encourage them to abide by and fulfill the mitzvahs of the Torah. Indeed, this is what they did. Accordingly, he asserts that Shlomo HaMelech, the author of Sefer Koholet, would teach it and expound on it every Hag Hagsuko to instruct and admonish all of Israel. This is the rationale for reading the Megillah Koholet on Hag Hagsuko. Here's where it gets good. I, I really like this. The seven Havalim and Koholet align with the seven days of Hag Hagsuko. 
know, Divre Kohaled Ben David Melech Bay Yerushalayim, Hava Havalim, Amar Kohaled, Haval Havalim, Akal Haval. The words of Kohaled, the son of David, king in Yerushalayim, futility of futilities, said Kohaled, futility of futility. All is futile. <laughs> According to Rashi, Kohelet is carrying out, crying out that everything created during the seven days of creation is futile, inconsequential. The seven futilities correspond to the seven days of creation. I could add another layer of so to that. The seven days in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur also correspond to the seven days of Sukkot. Torah well springs. Yep. Bring <laughs> that in, man. <laughs> Take the speed up another notch. <laughs> the source for this notion is found in the Midrash Sokar 12 to Helam 92. The Midrash points out that the word pebble, futility, appears seven times in these Pesachines. Three times in the singular plus two times in the plural, each one counting as two. Hence, they associated them with the seven days of creation. Thus, Shlomo HaMelech informs us at the very outset that Sefer Kohelet is meant to prove that all Mundane earthly matters are utter nonsense and fruitless. So seven days of Sukkot are like the seven days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And it's also like the seven days of creation. Okay. <laughs> this aligns magnificently with the seven days of Hog Sukkot given to us by Hakados Baraku. We find the following elucidation in the Gemara of Sukkah 2a related to, to the pursuit by Ikra 2342. You shall dwell in Sukkos for seven days. The Torah said, for all seven days, you should abandon your permanent dwelling and sit in a temporary dwelling. In keeping with our introduction, Hakadosh Baruch Hu is informing us that all of Alam Hazay, which was created during the seven days of creation, is merely a temporary situation. It was designed to prepare us for Alam Habad. In wow. other words, of the Mishnah and Avot 16, Rabbi Akiva says, Alam Hazay resembles an antechamber to Alam Habad. Prepare yourself in the antechamber so that you will be able to enter the banquet hall. Marriage Supper of the Lamb. This enlightened us as to why Shlomo HaMelech assembled all Yisrael on Hag HaSukot to expound Sefer Koholet to them. We learned that we dwell in the Sukkah for seven days to enter in, look at this, to inculate in us the lesson that Olam Hazay is merely a temporary dwelling. Therefore, he expounded Sefer Koholet to them, which opens 
with the seven futilities alluding to the seven days of creation. In similar fashion, the entire safer from the beginning to end demonstrates that all mundane earthly matters are futile and inconsequential. Okay. And I shared that with the group. Thank you, Cora. <laughs> Wow. Because, I mean, we're, you look at the construction of the suka, you know, like you try to make it as stable as you possibly can. But no matter what you do, <laughs> this thing is just like goodness. <laughs> and here we are. I mean, that's the point. Like, no matter how much you try, no matter how much you try to want to, uh, desire it and things like that it's just sounding like it's it's vanities it's fragile we need to know like how fragile this this world is how fragile our lives are you know but we're called to be faithful to Hashem because what makes the super great and glorious is the fact of that that's our meeting place with Hashem yeah the takeaway I get from it is you can own the nicest house in this world, but in of itself, it is mundane, it is temporary. Great because point. The master says, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be also. Yeah, I love Shvile Pinkus. Great yeah. stuff. Great, great, great. Shlomo Hamelik teaches us to anticipate future consequences. In honor of Hoghaz Sukkot, the time of our joy and festivity, I would like to present to our esteemed royal audience a wonderful idea of mine. As mentioned, it is our main hog to read Sefer Kohelet on Hoghaz Sukkot because we are emulating the practice of Shlomo Hamelik. Note that he wisely began the Sefer, the words of Kohelet, son of David, king in Yerushalayim, futility of futilities, said Kohelet, futility of futilities, all is futile. The words of Kohelet, son of David, king in Yerushalayim, futility of futility, said Kohelet, Utility of utility is always futile, and he concludes the safer with the proclamation, the sum when all has been considered, fear God, abide by his mitzvahs, for that is man's entire duty. For God will judge every deed, even everything hidden, whether good or evil. It appears that with these opening and closing remarks, Shlomo HaMelech intended to teach us a profound lesson concerning the service of Hashem. In order to overcome the influence of the Yetzirah, it is imperative not to pursue and be enticed by the meaningless, futile pursuits of Olam Hazay, as we will demonstrate this in a fundamental theme throughout Sefer Kohelet. Several Pesudim have, will be presented as examples. We will begin with the following enigmatic statement. 
I bid 214. The wise man has his eyes in his head. And whereas a fool walks in darkness, but I also realize, even I, that the same fate awaits them all. It's hard to believe that Shlomo HaMelech would denigrate the Kakam in this manner by claiming that he is no better than a fool and that the identical fate awaits them both. After all, the Kakam is most certainly destined to end up in Alam Haba, whereas the fool will most certainly descend to the netherworld. To reconcile this puzzling statement, let us refer to another statement in Ibid 413. A poor but wise young boy is preferable to an old and foolish king. Rashi comments in the name of the Midrash, the poor wise boy is the Yetzer Tov. It is referred to as a young boy because it does not enter a person until he is 13 years old. It is described as poor or unfortunate because the bodily limbs do not need it as they do the Yetzer Hurrah. It is described as wise because it guides man sensibly, intelligently to do good. The king is the Yetzer Hurrah who rules over all the bodily limbs. It is described as old because it enters one's body at birth. It is described as foolish because it misleads a person to go astray along a wayward path. The Neti Volt Olam, part two, Neti Koa Yetzer four, the Maharal explains the practical significance of these depictions. The Yetzer told is portrayed as Kakam, wise. Based on the qualification in Tamid 32a, a truly wise person foresees the consequences of all his actions. He realizes that if he sins, he will ultimately be held accountable. Therefore, he does not fall prey to sin. And if he does sin, he performs Teshuva. The Maharal teaches us that when the Yetzirah persuades a person to commit an avera. The wise Yetzir Tov provides moral support and encourages him not to be swayed or tempted by the glittery nonsense that surrounds us in this world. It helps a person realize that he is being deluded by his desires and cravings and will suffer the consequences. Instead, he sees the world with open, intelligent eyes. He realizes that ultimately we are all destined to die and that nothing will remain of the meaningless desires of Alam Hazay. Furthermore, because of the influence of the Yetzir Tov, a person realizes that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will hold him accountable for all his actions. In the words of the Tana, Akavya ben uh, Mahalalel, and I'll vote 3-1, know before whom you will be held accountable before the King of Kings, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. By considering future consequences, a person will avoid committing an avera. For this reason, the Yetzer Harah is depicted as a foolish old king because it introduces foolish whims in a person that confounds and displaces wisdom. Thus, he does not consider future consequences. Instead, he's enticed by the glittery excitement of the present. Did you look at the Hebrew in uh, Kohelet 12, 13? 
specifically for the phrase, oh, yeah. this Suf is the old man's duty. Suf Devar Hakol. Li Shema Et Ha Elohim Yireh Ba'et Mitzvotab Shmor Shmor Kizay Kol Ha'adam the Hebrew doesn't say for this is the whole of man's duty. It just says this is the whole of man. Yeah, ki et kol ma'ase ha'elokim yavi be mishpat al kol olam im tov yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, because the next verse is where it really just kind of picks up and it goes into uh, for every work, God will bring judgment and thing like that. But the whole of man, like if you really want to be in Adam, which we know is Mashiach. There's the first Adam, there's the second Adam. But it says the whole of Ha Adam. Kize Ko Ha Adam. Uh, notice Shomer it also Mitch. uses the word Shamor, guard, mm -hmm. keep, or, mm -hmm. you know, treasure. Where the treasure, the mitzvot. Yeah, it, it's like the treasure that the king entrusts to a steward. Yep. Cohelet, um, all about Sukkot. Goodness. See it in the Kumash. Uh, yeah, it amazes me how sometimes just the the English doesn't capture the Hebrew. No, it doesn't. Also, one thing I tend to look for is. Uh, like you, if you look at the first letter of each word or the last letter. Yeah, Roche Tevot is what that's called. Like, okay, here we go. Um, the first two words, if you take the first letter of the first word and then the first letter and the last letter of the second word, you have the word Seder. <laughs> As if to say, this is the order of things. Right. In other words, the order of things is to keep his mitzvot. <laughs> but the word that always stands out for me, though, is yirei. You know, to have respect, you know, a reverential fear. And what I find interesting is 
this word comes after the noun Elohim. <laughs> when typically in Hebrew grammar, the verb precedes the noun. Because the subject of the verb is, in this case, the person. You know, Suf Tavar, what's the sum of the matter? That you, Yire. This is why Elohim precedes the verb grammatically, because this is something that we're supposed to do. Yireva et mitzvotav shamor, we're supposed to guard. There's two verbs there that we're supposed to be doing fear and guard. Because it's also the pursuit also states that or elsewhere in the Torah that we are to um, you know the commandments are our life. Oh, that is Parsha Hazini. Oh nice, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I love how you asked the question to open the rumination and then you totally answered it by just reading source after source after source (laughs) (laughs) Um, just wanted to go to the Megillah and the Humash I mean, I have the Ben Chai. Um, On Kohelet. Let's see. Sukkos is Zeman Shikatenu, the time of our gladness. In Eretz Israel, the harvest is complete for everyone. The stressful period of the days of all is over. And we prepare to celebrate and express our gratitude for God's blessing, bounty, and protection. Unfortunately, unrestrained joy does not bring out the best in people. We may forget ourselves and fail to live up to our responsibilities as servants of God. To help us retain our perspectives during this season of happiness, major segments of the Jewish people have adopted the custom of reading the sobering book of Kohelet. Thinking people cannot be carried away to excess frivolity after listening to carefully, listening carefully to Solomon, the wisest of men, proclaiming, and this who marks uses the same word, futility of futilities, all is futile. Indeed, Abu Graham writes that Solomon first proclaimed Kohelet to the Jewish people during Sukkot precisely to serve as an antidote to the danger of light, lightheadedness on Sukkot. According to Ramban, sermon on Kohelet, the book has three main themes. One, man should not strive after the pleasures of this world because... For all their allures, they are fleeting and without value. Two, 
man's spiritual essence is eternal and he has a vital role in God's matter, master plan. There's your master plan. <laughs> Love it. Three, human intelligence cannot comprehend God's ways or assimilate all the situations and calculations upon which his justice is based. Only when the Messiah leads the world to perfection will he know why the righteous seem to suffer while the wicked seem to prosper. Seeing this way, Kohelet hardly dampens the festivity of Sukkot. Rather, it deepens our enjoyment of the festival because it helps us focus on what our goals in life should be. And as in many areas, a clear knowledge of one's goal is half the job of getting there. A G.I. Joe line, really? Knowing it's after it's battle. Real, yep. <laughs> He's a real American hero. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm looking at the Benny Shai. This is a verse that everyone knows. Uh, Koholet 11.9. Rejoice, O youth, in your childhood, and let your heart bring you cheer in the days of your youth, and go in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these the Shem will bring you to judgment. Hmm. When man takes action in this world, he believes that the actions or the deeds that he performs are for the good, else he would not take those actions. Sometimes he masks or camouflages his bad acts, deluding himself into believing that those acts are heroic and salutary. And after he performs these deeds, he is happy with himself, that is, until he feels regret when he realizes that those acts were not good acts at all, but rather bad acts. A righteous person is referred to as a as wise and a wicked person is likened to a fool, as shown in Kohelet 10.2, the heart of the wise man. The wicked is foolish because inevitably they regret their bad acts and hate the acts they perform. Wicked people are full of regret. Say for Kohelet. On the other hand, righteous people look back on their lives and exult. They see that they have lived full, complete lives and they relish in their abundant accomplishments. The wicked do not bask in pride with reviewing uh, their past lives. They merely become more foolish. Mishlei 32.25 teaches that the woman of valor is clothed with strength and beauty and she laughs in her final days. One has to reach the end of his days to be able to determine whether his deeds were full of goodness. Only then can he make this assessment. The Torah he has studied and the commandments that he has performed stand for him during this time. If he has no regret during, this, during his final days, then it is a sign that he lived a righteous, good life. A child in his youth likes to play games. He plays with stones or rides on a broom or otherwise acts as a child. 
Here, shall when I was a child, I <laughs> thought like a child. I things, like... But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Oh man, talk about um, well, um, not just slip my mind. <laughs> uh, bar no, mitzvah. Oh yeah! Wow, a bar mitzvah verse. Ah, when he matures, as some time passes, he looks scornfully at the acts that he did when he was but but a wee child. <laughs> With age comes maturity. In fact, that is why an older youth is called a bakur in Hebrew. Bro, you mentioned this earlier about the glass dimly. That's the verse that precedes it. The when I was a child, I thought like a child. And then it goes into we see now through a glass dimly. But then we will see in full. Wow. The verse before that, but when the perfect comes, the partial passes away. That is really cool. Yeah, it's just this whole thing, progressive revelation. And then the, the following suit, you know, like the fact that we go into the sukkah, then we take the sukkah with us into our new year. Like the wellspring said, you know, the same goy who brought me here. You don't want that same goy taking you back. No. <laughs> yeah, you remember that one? Yeah. That was crazy. I also remember a boat of Sarah. I think it's in uh, 4A, where the nations will build their sukkah. But mm -hmm. out of frustration, they'll kick it. Yep. And the only reason they're frustrated is because they don't know halakha, yeah. which says if you're uncomfortable in your sukkah, you're dismissed. And those who don't listen to the rabbis don't know halakha. And we know why groups don't, so without naming names, of course. Yeah. So you're forfeiting olam haba based off of a prejudice. That's what it ultimately ends up being. And I always issue the warning, anti-rabbinism always leads to anti-Semitism. Yep. So what's it all about? The question has been asked in countless ways over the millennia and sometimes takes the form of what is the purpose of life? Or <laughs> is this all there is? Although modern times seem, seems to have made this question one that promotes narcissism 
and a self-centered approach to life is essentially unchanged since man's earliest thoughts. It is an overwhelming sense that we, what we see is not all there is. There must be something greater, someone who is hidden from view. The question becomes the fundamental question of the ages. What is it all about? So the it is someone? Yeah, I've stated before, especially in relation to the Mishkan, that Hashem dwells in unapproachable darkness and unapproachable light. We, we know based on Hasidic thought that the supernal light is concealed. Mm -hmm. That the, we, we see the letters of the Torah, but physically speaking, when we read the Hebrew on the page of the Humash, but what becomes more difficult is to perceive the light that emanates from them. The supernal light. Because after all, the letters are the foundation of creation. Along with the 10 Sephiroth, the 32 paths of wisdom. Mm -hmm. they're, they're the building blocks of creation. Um, um, so as we close a Torah cycle and use our sukkah in order to celebrate the time of our rejoicing called Sukkot or Feast of Tabernacles, <laughs> it may seem odd to ponder this question. After all, as students of the Torah, have we not answered this question to our satisfaction time and again? Beloved, the answer is no. That is because the question persists and demands an, an almost daily answer. Our faith demands that we persistently answer this question. During Sukkot, we studied the enigmatic book of Kohelet, Ecclesiastes. In the book, the preacher, King Solomon, is essentially asking this question. The wisest of men appears to provide a fatalistic answer throughout in the echo of all is vanity, but this is where our question gets interesting. You see, the question is found, the answer is found in the question itself. With no question, there is no answer. I mean, I've noticed my time in the church when I, I hardly see people asking the real serious questions. I've never seen this question asked, really. I mean, in light of this Megillah of Kohelet. Um, you see, yeah. Um, there's no question, there's no answer. And ultimately, our lives will be empty. The question itself implies the answer is certain, albeit hidden 
Beloved, the key is the mystery. It is about what is hidden and not readily apparent. Hashem has not revealed himself overtly. He desires for men to seek him. Hashem is the king who earnestly desires to find seekers who will worship him in true faith. Thus, he remains hidden, waiting to be found daily. He has indeed left us clues, but even the clues are enigmatic. The heavens declare him, and yet our logical minds cannot comprehend such a vast majesty. Nature demands a creator, and yet our fatalism and science cannot imagine such a creator remaining unseen and unheard. Our hearts echo the truth of his word, and yet our minds and our souls at times rebel against his decrees. Why won't God just audibly talk to us? Because he wants us to trust him. He wants faith. Thus, our question always comes to the hidden one. True faith is resting upon the one who is not seen, whose hand is not always evident, but whose word is always true. As you prepare for Sukkot, may you ponder this question. May you study Koholet in an earnest quest, quest for him. May you find him as you always have in the hidden, in the mysterious, in true faith. In preparation for the high holy days culminating at the end of Sukkot, we read daily from Psalm 27. He is searching for his seekers. One thing I have asked of Hashem that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of Hashem all the days of my life to behold the beauty of Hashem and to inquire in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me secretly in his pavilion. In the covert of his tabernacle will he hide me. He will lift me up upon a rock and now shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. And I will offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to Hashem. Hear, O Hashem, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Hashem, I will, will I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not put your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not cast me off or forsake me, O God of my salvation. Psalm 27, 4-9. Amen. Which will conclude on Shemini Adzeret. It'll be the last time. So we got to basically analyze, meditate, extract from the hiddenness and from the things that aren't so blatant in our lives. Like we got to seek it out. Yep.
They have to desire to behold the beauty of Hashem. This is why we have the skaf. And it's got to be see-through. Because for those of us who sleep in the sukkah, or even if we just took a nap in the sukkah, looked up at the stars at the night in the sukkah, you know, you're supposed to contemplate on that. And it's just kind of like, only thing above you is Hashem. You know, as you're looking up, you see the stars shine through. You realize there, this roof doesn't really protect you from anything. You know, should it rain, it's just going to come straight through, you know, and things like that. So, yeah. It, it even goes with the, the Kohelet last verse you read about us understanding what our whole duty is. Because really, you have to ask yourself. You know, so you get into this contemplative, focused, meditative, you know, and it really just kind of sets your course like Jack Sparrow's compass. Yeah. Oh, Tor Wellsprings was like uh, the the parable of the daughter who goes off from the king and gets married, and the the king comes to visit, and the daughter's all like, "Oh yeah, you know this is this is the one I got married off to, you know." And the dad, the king sees it and is like, "Oh, it's a beautiful relationship. This is a great guy, you know." And then right before the king is getting ready to leave. The daughter's like, this is a horrible person. He's been doing all these things to me, you know, and the king was like, well, then let me stay with you then. And they said, this is Sukkot. Because <laughs> you've been through a lul, you know, you've been working on Teshuva, and then you go through the 10 days. And then all of a sudden at Naila, you're like, okay, king, listen, I know we put on a good front, but I just need to let you know I'm struggling. My Yetzirah is really at me, you know. <laughs> and so it says, well, let me tabernacle with you then. Which I immediately thought about John 1. Oh, uh, 114. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's... Uh, there's <laughs> one part of Torah Wellspring that I really liked. And that was Tats uh, Newman. Who? Um... Well, it's G dash T. Oh, okay. Um, Dots Newman. Dots Newman. Um, it's on page six of the PDF. Gotcha. Where you see? Uh, where he says. The day after Yom Kippur is called uh, God's Newman, Hashem's name. Ah. And why? Why? Number one, the Baal Shem told a blessed memory explains that for 10 days we said HaMelech HaKadosh. And now we resume saying once again Hashem's name, HaEl HaKadosh. Therefore, this day is called God's Newman, Hashem's name. <clears throat> 
number two, Rebbe Yisikar Dov of Bells, a blessed memory talk. On Yom Kippur, the nation heard the Kohen Gadol say, Hashem Hame Forash, Hashem's name. As it is written, this was the only day of the year that they heard Hashem's name. And Yerushalmi, Yoma 3.7, teaches that immediately after Yom Kippur, everyone forgot how to pronounce the name. Because the correct pronunciation of Hashem's name must remain a secret to certain, to certain individuals out there who claim to know the pronunciation who don't. <clears throat> yeah, remain a secret known only to a select few. Uh, see uh, Kiddushin 71. On the morning after Yom Kippur, Everyone asked one another, do you remember how the Kohen Gadol pronounced Hashem's name? But no one remembered. And since everyone was asking and speaking about Gutz Newman, the day after Yom Kippur is called Gutz Newman. Number three, Rebbe Moshe Mordecai Lelover, a blessed memory, related a story that happened to his grandfather, Rebbe Dovid Avilov. <coughs> Uh, Rebbe David of Lilov, a blessed memory, heard a uh, male Ahmed teach a young child. When you see two-letter youths in the Humash or in the Sidur, that is Hashem's name. When, a, when the male Ahmed reached the end of the pursuit, the student asked, there are two yods here, the two dots, colon, at the end of the pursuit. Why don't you read it as Hashem's name? The male Med replied, when two yods are next to each other, it is Hashem's name. But when one yod is higher than the other, it is a suf pasuk, a separator between one pasuk and the next one. Rebbe Dovid Alilov said that he learned from this the following lesson. When two yidin, two yods, feel equal, no one feels greater than the other. Hashem is there. But when the Yid feels higher than the other, it is a separator, and Hashem's name doesn't reside there. Rabbi Moshe Mordecai repeated this story and said, after Yom Kippur, everyone is cleansed from sins, so all Yidin are on the same level. That's two Yids side by side. And Hashem's name is there. Therefore, the day after Yom Kippur is called Gutz Newman because everyone is equal and Hashem's name is there. The first day of Sukkot, Yom Rishon, uh, Leheshvan, Avonot, the first day of counting sins because the purity of Yom Kippur extends until the first day of Sukkot. On this day, we take a, a, an etrog which Zedekin said is Roshe Tevos. Yeah, uh, El Teveni, Teveni uh, Regal. Go uh, away. Don't bring me. Don't uh, bring me to arrogance. By taking the etrog, we are praying that we should remain equal to all Yidin. We should always be pure from sins. It should never be that one feels higher than another. And then Hashem's name will always be with us. 
Well, so God's Newman is the saying Gamatria is Ben Hadavar. Son, the word. So the son who is the word, the name of Hashem. So that would be 72. Which is the 72 letter name of Hashem. Yep. Day after Yom Kippur. And we go right into getting the Arba Minim, the Lulav, where we once again put Jews on the same level. Yep. Were you going to read something before we did the Torah Wellspring Swerve? You had a book open. Um, I had the Orkain to uh, Devarim 32. I also got out uh, Adoret Yaliyahu or Benish High. There was something really good in there I uh, discovered. Um, did you tab it? Or do you do tabs? I just do little bookmarks. <laughs> um, oh, okay. It was something from the uh, previous parsha that really stood out to me regarding the Dom Harishon, though. What? Uh, you had, yeah, hmm. from bits of being about the thorns and the thistles. Well, if we're gonna there, if we're gonna go there, um, apparently there are plants growing on the eastern wall in the form of the divine name in Jerusalem. Really? And it, one report said it was a thorn bush. <laughs> dar, the Hebrew word is dar, dalet reish. Okay. <laughs> Which is 404. So. Zadik. What the juxtaposes what the, the switching of the Dalet and the race. Yeah. Because in Exodus, uh, what is it, 32, you see the word Akher. Um, oh, I know what you're talking about. And it's, it should be a Chad. Yeah. Every time we recite Shema, we bring rectification for the switching of the Dalet and the Reish. 
in those two words because of Adam Harishon's sin and the curse that was brought on brought on him that of thorns and thistles. You're good. Just over here ruminating, taking it all in. Finally have a minute to just kind of absorb, you know, everything that just went down. Uh, yeah, I... I take it in every year when I come to these. Um, and then we're going to be starting over. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought so. It's in Arizona. Okay, so. <clears throat> yeah, the uh, Edward Al Yahoo, volume two, page 801. Zakor Yamot Olam Beno Shanot Dor Vedor Shael Avika Vayagadeka Second Neka Ve Yomru Lak. Remember the days of old, reflect upon the years of other generations. Ask your father and he will tell you, your elders, and they will inform you. Devarim 32.7. Regarding Bereshit 3.18. Bekutz Vedar Dar Tatmiat Lach. It will make thorns and thistles grow for you. The Mephorshim told us that when Adam Harushon sinned, he caused a blemish on the letter Dalet of Echad from the reading of the Shema, uh, Devarim 6.4, and changed it to a Resh. God forbid. He also made a blemish on the Resh of Aker in Shemot 34.14. You shall not bow down to another god and change it to a Dalet, God forbid. When a person practices a Vodazera, he changes the whole system, such as changing the Dalet to a Rish, and vice versa. Hence, it was decreed upon Adam that be kutz be dar dar, tatsmiak lot. And Dar Dar has the same letters as Dar Dar. And as a remez to the changing the Dalet to Raish. It is also known that we have to make a complete tikkun for the blemish caused by Adam Harushon, and hence we can understand 
Sefor Yamot Olam, which was explained by Rashi, a blessed memory to remember what Hashem did to those who came before and caused, ang and caused anger to him. Thus, Sefor Yamot Olam means to remember what happened since the days of Adam HaRishon, and this way, Benoshanot Dor Bedor, reflect upon the years of other generations. Shanot is from Lashan, Shanui, change, as a remains to the blemish, uh, and hence the change caused by Adam HaRishon and all the rest of the people who practiced Avodazera and interchanged the letters Resh and Dalet. The word Dar was repeated for the two blemishes in the pursuit of the Shema and in the pursuit from Devarim. Lo la'el akher. This way we should also realize that children have to make tikkun for the blemishes caused by their fathers. If a person did not understand this matter, the pursuit added, Sha'el avika yagadeka zakaneka bayomu lak. Ask your father and he will tell you, your elders, and they will inform you. Ki halek Adonai Amo, Yaakov Havel Nakalato. For the portion of Hashem is his people and Yaakov, uh, the lot of his inheritance. Um, actually, that drops us end with uh, those three paragraphs. But yeah, that's another tikkun. Because he caused a blemish on the Dalet and the race. Which is why the word is repeated in the Torah. So, Rubishim. Um, and that was from Adaret Eliyahu. Adaret Eliyahu. Love it. Then I was getting the snail of coats. Superhero theme song because you're opening up Sinead with Goat. <laughs> oh, Mr. Wonder Twin Powers activate. <laughs> yeah, because the two. Wow. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, so uh, Nair Mitzvah, Commandment 612, and join enjoins the entire Jewish people to assemble at the end of the Shemitah year on the second day of the Festival of Tabernacles. It's the point that you brought up earlier. Mm -hmm. Commandment 6.13 directs every male Israelite to write a copy of the written Torah for himself. The Torah writes, Ve'eta uh, katavu lakem et hashira hazot 
Now write down for yourselves this song and teach it to the children of Israel. This concludes the list of the 613 commandments. According to Nachmanides, the commandment to do teshuva is also alluded to in this portion in 30 verse 11. For this commandment which I command you this day is not too hard for you, etc. In the portion Ha'izinu, we find an allusion to the prohibition to drink wine intended as a libation for idolatrous folks. The Torah refers to this in 32-38, who are the fat of their offerings and drank their libation, wine. We have a similar allusion to this commandment in Exodus 34-15, and he will invite you and you will partake of his idolatrous offerings. The word from his offerings includes libations. Okay, Torah or Israel Goy Echad Ba'arets. Israel is a nation unique in this world. It has been crowned, singled out with a single crown consisting of two facets, i.e., both in a general and in a specific way. The entire nation is considered as if it were one person. That is why the Torah refers to the people as Nefesh. Person singular. Already Man. at the <laughs> already at the time Jacob descended into Egypt, Genesis 46:26. The significance of this lies in the fact that Ki Halek Adonai Amo, that his people Israel are part of God Himself. 329. Mankind was divided into 70 nations, each one with a representative in the celestial regions, i.e. a horoscope presided over by a star minister, as we know from 419, which the Lord your God assigned to all the nations. He took you and removed you from the iron crucible from Egypt to be for him his very own nation, as is now the case. That's February 420. The Jewish people's fortunes are not guided by intermediaries such as horoscopes. The 70 nations were divided from one another, as we know from 32.8, when the Most High gave nations their homes and set the divisions of man. He fixed the boundaries of peoples in relation to Israel's numbers, the relationship, common denominator between the numbers of Israel and that of the nations of the world is that Israel numbered 70 when they first went down to Egypt. The difference is only that the 70 Israelites that came to Egypt are all described as nefesh, a single person. Any part of the Jewish nation is compared to the entire nation because Israel is a part of God. It has an eternal future. As pointed out in Sanhedrin 90, every Israelite has a share in the world to come. In addition to this common factor with which links every Israelite with one another to form part of the whole. Each Israelite is a distinct individual, as is evident from a statement by our sages in the Midbar Rabbah 21-22, based on Isaiah 4-5. Any righteous person is burned or, sing or singed by the fire uh, God has provided as part of the canopy. He grants to every righteous person. This teaches that Though every Israelite has his share in the world to come, everyone is assigned a place of his own. Concerning this state of affairs, 
Moshe said in 32.12, the Lord guided him separately, unaccompanied by any alien power. The word Yenachnu uh, in this verse is a, is a singular. Guided him, not guided us. To stress that every Israelite is an individual unit, personality. Where Moshe can uh, continue that, he was not accompanied by another power. This refers to the Shireen and Mezalot, assigned to guide the fates of the Gentiles. None of those forces exercised the slightest control over the Jewish people. The two commandments in these last three portions directly reflect these thoughts. The commandment of Hakel, demanding that all Israel women and children included assemble in the courtyard of the Holy Temple to listen to a reading of the Torah is rooted in the fact that all Israel is perceived as, as of a single body. Subsequently, the Torah once more instructs every individual Israelite separately to write a copy of the Torah for himself. As long as Israel performed God's commandments, they experienced a close affinity with God, both on a national and on an individual level. If, God forbid, they were to fail to observe the Torah's commandments, they would find themselves under the influence, influence of El Nakor, an alien deity, i.e. Satan. The evil urge uh, mentioned in Reshit, uh, Hokma uh, Sha'ar uh, Anot uh, 57. When this happens, the sinner will find himself in the domain of the left side of the emanations, i.e., subject to influences similar to those which govern the lives of the Gentiles. We were bringing up this point earlier. Now that, um, you know, grace is Gavura, Gavura is grace. Mm -hmm. What I've been thinking about as you're reading this is how Israel can say, I am my father or one. Mm. Because Mashiach is Israel and Israel is Mashiach. Not a singularity. Yep. God has, however, provided a remedy for those Israelites who have become subject to these influences. This remedy is known as teshuva, repentance. Repentance possesses the power to bring such sinners back into the fold, into the right side of the emanations, which represents holiness. This was pointed out by Nachmanides. The relevant verse is 30 verse 11, which refers to repentance. The mystical dimension of repentance is part of the emanation of Binah. Students of the Kabbalah are aware that this emanation cannot be, a, be accessed by Gentiles. The latter can access only the emanations from Hesed downwards. Canaanites what? have access to those lower emanations. Ishmael was sired by Abraham, who who represented the emanation of Hesed. Since Gentiles are able to relate to this emanation, being offspring of Isaac, who represented the next lower emanation of Gevurah, the descendants of Esau also could access that emanation. Having delineated the above exceptions, the 70 nations can access only 
the Shireen Be'mezalot, uh, which we have already described. The inability of these 70 nations to access the emanations of either Hesed or Gevura explains why the touching by members of such nations disqualifies wine, an expression of God's bounty. All this because of the pollutant of the serpent, which spread through mankind as a result of Eve having squeezed out the fruit of the tree of knowledge, reputedly the grape. It thus became what is termed in our portion, 2917, uh, a fruit turning into poison, weed, and wormwood. Wormwood, Revelation. Concerning this type of wine, Solomon in Proverbs 23:31 has said, Do not look at wine when it is red. Since the emanation of Benah is not exposed to the touch of, of the Gentiles, the wine we find in that domain is the kind of wine our sages have said that it has been preserved in its original grapes ever since the six days of creation. In order to be served up to the righteous in the hereafter, Baracote 34, this is an allusion to the six revealed days of creation remaining as they are, i.e., accessible to contact by the Gentiles. The six days of creation known as the days of ben Benin, the concealed aspect of the work of creation, serve as an area in which this wine is stored for the eventual enjoyment by the righteous. The penitent must elevate himself to a level that qualifies him to partake of that wine in the future. He is able to burst the confining shackles of the symbols of the constraints imposed upon him by the evil urge so that he can rejoin the mainstream of the Jewish people. The Baal Teshuvah, together with the other righteous, will then experience the revelation of God's secrets as a result of having partaken of this wine. This is the meaning of Psalms 25, 14. God's secrets are reserved for those who fear him. The miracle value of the word sold Secret is 70. It alludes to the 70 who formed the nucleus of the Jewish people who first went down to Egypt because they were all a single person. Nefesh, they all have a share in the world to come. But there's another uh, level of Sod. Or Yayin and Sod. Referring to the 70 that went down into Mitzvahim. Um, I'm going to skip down here because there's some, uh, see, the Zohar in 32.3, Solom edition, Hayazina, page 92 states that, what is the meaning of, for I will proclaim the name of the Lord? Rabbi Shimon answers, give glory to our God. Rabbi Abba comments as follows, the words give glory are a reference to the Gedulah, or the anima, animation, emanation of Hesed. The words Hazur Tamim Pa'alu, the rock whose works are perfect, are a reference to the emanation of Gavura. The words Ki Ko uh, Darka, 
uh, Mishpat, for all his ways are justice, are a reference to the emanation of Tiferet. The words uh, El Emuna, a faithful God, refer to the emanation of Netzach, whereas the words Ain Ol, never false, refer to the emanation of Hod. The word Sadiq, the righteous one, alludes to the emanation of Yasod, whereas the word Vayishar, uh, the upright one, refers to this, the Zedek, another name for the emanation of Malkut. All these expressions combined form the name of God. This is why Moses said, I will proclaim the name of God. Some from uh, <laughs> One soul. Yeah, another level of soul for the um, wine goes in, secrets come out. Well, you know, um, soul is in the fish. And that's the gematria 430. It is the same gematria as shekel. And this is why we give the half shekel because we're not complete unless we take our half and put it with another. And so the whole thing about making the one soul of Yisrael, which it is, it only happens when we unify with each other. Yep. Um... It's also the first two letters for the word uh, Shama. Which I find interesting there. So, um, Anything else? Um, Oh, a little short tidbit from uh, Torah Wellsprings there of Sukkot. Then we can end with that. <laughs> All right. Uh, Arab Sukkot's Rebbe Kaim uh, Zanz, who was always extremely generous to the poor, increased his zedaka on Arab Sukkot and distributed large amounts of money to the poor. He said that there isn't a nicer Nui uh, Sukkot Declaration than the Zedaka one gives on Eric Sukkos. Oh. Shahare Teshuva 625 writes it is proper to give a lot of Zedaka on Eric Sukkos. Reb Kayim Vital would distribute the entire Zedaka of Pushke to the poor in his day, on this day. Um, yeah, I'm gonna, okay, so Uspazin, the Yesod of Eshoresh Ha'avoda writes, Erev Sukkot is the time to distribute Zedaka. It is also the day to seek proper guests, B'nai Torah, for the Yom Tov. Why is it important to have guests on Sukkot? The Zohar teaches that on Sukkot, the seven Uspazin, Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Moshe, Aharon, Yosef, and Dovid come out to our come to our Sukkos. 
to celebrate with us. When they arrive, they check to see if any guests are present. If there are guests, they remain in the sukkah and bless all the participants. But if there are no guests, they leave therefore. It is important to have guests on sukkos. And the footnote, the Gemara in Avodah Zerah 3 tells us that in the future, when Hakadosh Baruch Hu rewards the Jewish nation, the nations of the world will request another chance to keep the Torah. Hakadosh Baruch Hu will say, I have a simple mitzvah. It's called a sukkah. Keep this mitzvah and you will be rewarded together with the Jewish nation. The Gemara continues, immediately they will all go up and build a sukkah on their rooftops. Hakadosh Baruch Hu will have the sunshine Brightly, it will become extremely hot for them, and they will all kick their sukkos and leave. The Gemara explains that you didn't also leave the sukkah when it's very hot, for the halakha is someone who is in distress is exempt from sukkah, but a yid doesn't kick the sukkah when he leaves. The nations of the world will kick the sukkah in disdain and thereby proving that they don't deserve reward. The Badarek Sakus, we can say, why do the nations of the world build their sukkos specifically on their rooftops? It's because they don't want people knocking at their door asking for a meal. Oh my gosh. The Jews, on the other hand, seek to have guests on sukkos so you can feed them. That's right. We also explain the kazal, this kazal as follows. The hot sun represents the hardships of life, and the sukkah represents belief in Hashem. A non-Jew can have emunah in Hashem when everything goes well for him, but when things heat up <laughs> at times, and times are hard, they kick the sukkah. They no longer believe in Hashem. So see, Rebbe Eliezer of Deziki, a blessed memory, was particularly cautious to have a guest on the first day of Sukkos because it is the Ushtuzin of Abraham, of who excelled in the uh, Akhanasis or King. One year on the first day of Sukkos, the Deziki, uh, or Rebbe, didn't have a guest, so he asked his son, the Imre Noam, a blessed memory to go outside and find someone who needs a Yom Tov meal. <laughs> the son walked around the streets until he found a homeless person, the type of person people generally don't want in their homes. Come mm. with me, he said to the poor man. My father invites you to eat your Yom Tov Seudah together with him. The Zikiva Rebbe was very happy with his guest, and he served him the Yom Tov meal. The disease keeper, Rebbe, said Abraham Avinu didn't have better guests. Abraham cared so much about people that he was eager to bring home anyone who desired a meal. At least on this day, we should emulate Abraham Avinu's ways. I mean, that's what it's all about. Which, by the way, Gematria of Abraham is the same Gematria as Bezalem Elohim. 
in the image of God. Wow. The other thing I thought of when I was reading this was the uh, the parable of the uh, the wedding feast. Oh yeah. Go out into the highways, the byways, get everyone to come. Yeah, because the uh, the the marriage supper is actually Sukkot. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, you know, I think that parable is an allusion to Sukkot. So Yeshua was teaching on Sukkot. Yep. Love it. This is the kingdom of Hashem. Yep. And um, yeah, Malkut is the oral Torah. Did you know Malkut also has to do with speech? Mm -hmm. So when we talk about the oral Torah, speech, the kingdom of Hashem. <laughs> well, yeah, when Yeshua says in Yochanan um, 5, I'm come in my father's name and you do not receive me. But if another comes in his own name, him will you receive. The father is the Torah. Um, yeah. Uh, restoration of the breach. Um, Kabbalah of the New Testament, um, number four. Mm -hmm. He did. Oh, yeah. The father's name. Yeah. That's the name that he comes in. That's the name that he's declaring. That's right. He's not, you know, he's not declaring anything new, you know, like they say, you know, the law of Christ, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. Well, on to the sukkah. Amen. <laughs> Do you get to be in there this week? Do you have one? Uh, no, we, you, don't, uh, we don't have okay. a suit. Uh, I mean, we're in our, you're in an apartment. Yeah, yeah. It's like a we have to. Gotcha. Yeah, we'll be using uh, a corporate suka, so that'll be our suka this year. Uh, That's good. Nice. I will, and we'll build canopy. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> I mean, we do have a tent and some sleeping bags, so. It's, we get when we get our car back. Um, there you go. Maybe your neighbor will be like, "Hey, I know somewhere I can get a suka." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. Hey, best ride of shams. <laughs> that would be so crazy, we man! If I get a note in our apartment one year. <laughs> oh yeah, that was something that we did. My wife got the idea. We bought some PVC pipe and we constructed yeah. a suka over our bed. And that was the first year that we watched the movie Who's Cuisine. Nice. I, I did it being obedient to the Shem because I was um, praying the whole time. You know, Hussein, we don't have anywhere to build our sukkah. And he told me to get the PCP pipe or PBC pipe. And he told me exactly what to get. And we went to Home Depot and got it. <laughs> it's very fitting since the bedroom is called the Holy of Holies. So 
There's no time or space right there. You know, I, I see what you're doing. And what we used for the walls were uh, shower curtains, but yeah. one of them was an actual tree. It was like a tree. And yeah. so I thought it gave us the feel of not necessarily being outside, but yeah, being like in a tree, yeah. grove of trees. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So we did what we could. What I there got go. out of it that year was just being obedient to the stem. Yeah. Uh, considering our circumstances. Well, considering Mr. Shlomo over here sharing the uh, the what's this people name on the podcast? You be sharing the Kabbalah thing. Uh, what is this? Restoration of the breach. No, no, no. The podcast on uh, oh uh, Kabbalah for everyone by uh, Yisra- Rabbi Yisrael Burnett. This guy, he was doing the whole thing about Rosh Hashanah because everybody's like, "Well, I can't do Josh Lee. I'm not available. I'm out of town," you know. And he's just like, <laughs> "Do what you do, what you can." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, I was just like, seriously. <laughs> But yeah, so, but um, I was just thinking, what if Yosef could do some teachings from the sukkah, you know, and then have everybody join in that way? He did that last year. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Bezrat Hashem, I will have a teaching from the sukkah this year, and um, it should be on day three. So Suko day three, I should be doing a teaching from the Suko. Uh I'm the I'm the meal. Uh, or Zoom. No, I'm gonna I think I'm gonna do a Zoom because I want people to be involved, interactive, and then uh we can post it to Vimeo later. Yeah, okay. Well I'm game. <laughs> cool. So yeah, so stay tuned. Thanks for the invite. Yeah. Same bat time, same bat channel. <laughs> Amen. Well, that will conclude our rumination for Hazinu and Sukkot Shabbat Kol Hamoed. Amen. And the prayer after study. Monday, I thank you, O Hashem, my God, that you have established my portion with those who dwell in the study hall. And you have not established my portion with idlers. For I rise early and they arise early. I rise early for words of Torah and they arise early for idle words. I toil and they toil. I toil and receive reward and they toil and do not receive reward. I run and they run. I run to the life of the world to come and they run to the pit of destruction. As it is written and you, O God, you will lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out half their days. But as for me, I will trust in you. Amen. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Natan Lanu Torat Emet Vechaye Olam Nata Betopenu Baruch Atah Adonai Notein HaTorah Baruch Haba Beshem Adonai